0: Psalm 52, this is a psalm about faith in the face of great evil, let's give our attention to God's word tonight. To the choir master, a masculine of David, when Doag the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Ahimelech. Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? The steadfast love of God endures all the day. Your tongue plots destruction like like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The righteous shall see and fear and shall laugh at him, saying, See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction." But I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. I trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. I will thank you forever because you have done it. I will wait for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. Let's ask the Lord to bless his word. God in heaven, train us tonight to see things as they truly are. And a Lord, to, um, to see what a biblical faith looks like and what it does, how it acts, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, build us up in the faith tonight. Through this, your word, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Uh, this morning, if, um, if you remember, and if you were here this morning, I hope you haven't forgotten already, we were in Revelation chapter 10, and um, looking at the absolute sovereignty of Jesus Christ uh, with one foot on the sea, the realm of chaos and death. And one foot on the land, the realm of human rebellion, uh, Jesus rules, Jesus reigns. Uh, that is easy to believe when life is going well, when things are as they ought to be more or less, when, it's, when we're living the life that we had somewhat hoped to live or expected to live. But what about when tragedy strikes or when um, evil seems to be allowed a free reign one of the greatest challenges uh, to a believer is how to reconcile divine sovereignty with devastating acts of true and pure evil. One of the things that fascinates me when we were in um, in uh, Britain two years ago, we, uh, just noted in all these little villages, church, uh, ch- churches in every one of them, and sometimes multiple churches. Uh, England was a, a very churched land. Uh, there, are, and, and today most of those churches are empty. And the um, there are different reasons for that. One reason is that the. Um, social gospel sort of came into the church and um, and, and liberalism and modernism uh, and so and so the the true gospel was no longer being preached uh, sort of a moral gospel be good be nice do good things was being proclaimed and people realized they could get the same uh, counsel um, at the bar uh, at the pub or at home and whatever the case might be and there was no need then to um, to be reconciled to a holy God. So there was a teaching within the church. But also, one of the reasons also was just the devastation of World War I and World War II. As, um, as people just struggled to reconcile the, the horror and the evil of, uh, of, of those events with the reality of a sovereign God, um, Ellie v- 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 Weissel survivor of Auschwitz and and Buchenwald concentration camps, and and a famous writer as well. He said that he lost his faith in God as he watched the smoke and ashes billow from the uh, crematoriums of Auschwitz, that there simply could not be a sovereign God and um, thousands and thousands of people being burned and cremated, having been put to death in the gas chambers only because they were Jews. How does um, a Christian respond to actual, true, pure evil? What does biblical faith look like in such a context? How does it survive days of evil when God seems to allow awful things to happen? Well, that's what Psalm 52 is about. Uh, it's a psalm that um, is—it's is, about David's most, most likely the most painful and bitter experience of his life other than his own fall into sin. Uh, The the title tells us uh, about the event that occasioned this psalm. Uh, It happened when uh, Doag the Edomite came and told Saul, David has come to the house of Halimelech. And we just need to set that historical context if we're going to understand the psalm. Uh, David um, during this time, is running for his life. He's just just finally figured out that Saul really does want to kill him, and that Saul is the king, and so Saul has vast resources at his disposal. And so David flees for his life, and he runs to a city called Nob. Uh, That's where the tabernacle was, the tent of the Lord. That's where the priests were, the high priest, Ahimelech, and, and all the priests serving the Lord there. And so David goes there, and um, says, I, I, I've come in the service of the king. We need supplies. And uh, he, so he asked for, uh, for, for food supplies and for weapons. Well, the, uh, the only food that was available was the showbread, the food that would be put in. It was, it was devoted to the Lord. And, um, but every day they would put fresh bread there and take the old bread, a day old, off. And, and uh, Ahimelech was willing to give David that day old showbread. Uh, and the only weapon he had was Goliath's sword, the sword that David himself had taken from Goliath, of course, when he, when he killed him. Uh, but David was a young, a young boy then, and that sword was way too much for him. He'd given it to Himelech for safekeeping, and now that's the only sword, and David takes that for his own. Um, David then and uh, his few men head off to hide in the cave of Adullam. Well, um, David, Saul, back at home, uh, is insanely jealous and uh, complaining to his, um, his company, his soldiers, his guards, that uh, you know, no, one is, no one is helping me. David is, is conspiring against me. My own son is conspiring against me. No one is helping me. Why, why doesn't anyone know where David is? Well, there was a man uh, at Nob who had happened to see what uh, David come to Ahimelech. He saw what, David, uh, what Ahimelech had done for David. This man's name is Doag, the Edomite. And uh, Doag was the, the chief herdsman of Saul. Uh, so he was, it's a middling sort of bureaucratic position. You're the head shepherd. Shepherds are not a big deal. They're sort of despised. It's not, it's not much of a position. Doag is an ambitious man. He's a man with dreams. Uh, he wants more. He wants wealth. He wants position. He wants status. And when Doag sees David uh, come to him, elect, Doag knows that he has a valuable piece of information. And, uh, and if he uses this right, plays it right, it will benefit him greatly. Well, when Saul is in, in his paranoid rage... Uh, because no one is, uh, has any information, Doag steps forward and says, well, I actually do know where uh, David was. Uh, he was at Nob, and, and uh, Himelech, the high priest, gave him bread, gave him the sword, inquired of the Lord for him there. That's, that's what's been going on. And, and if you're in 1 Samuel 22, I'd just like to finish reading the rest of that story because it, it does provide a critical context. So let's look at 1 Samuel 22 and begin at verse 11. 1 Samuel 22, beginning at verse 11. Then the king, that is Saul, sent to summon Ahimelech the priest, the son of Ahitub, and all his father's house, the priests who were at Nob, and all of them came to the king. And Saul said, hear now, son of Ahitub, and he answered, here I am, my lord. And Saul said to him, Why have you conspired against me, you and the son of Jesse, in that you have given him bread and a sword, and have, and have inquired of God for him, so that he has risen against me to lie in wait as at this day? Uh, when, when then Ahimelech answered the king, and, and who among all your servants is so faithful as David, who is the king's son-in-law and captain over your bodyguard and honored in your house? Is today the first time that I have inquired of God for him? No. Let not the king impute anything to his servant or to all the house of my father. For your servant has known nothing of all this, much or little. And the king said, You shall surely die, Ahimelech, you and all your father's house. And the king said to the guard who stood about him, Turn and kill the priests of the Lord. Because their hand also is with David, and they knew that he fled and did not disclose it to me. But the servants of the king would not put out their hand to strike the priests of the Lord. Then the king said to Doag, you turn and strike the priests. And Doag the Edomite turned and struck down the priests. And he killed on that day 85 persons who bore the linen ephod. And Nob, the city of the priests, he put to the sword. Both man and woman, child and infant, ox, donkey and sheep, he put to the sword. Now here we have a, a war crime. A um, 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 A a stool uh, of of Saul, Doag the Edomite, uh, does this horrible thing. One man escapes the city of Nob in the massacre and goes and tells David what's happened. And that's the context for Psalm 52. Uh, It's written uh, as a man of faith in the face of an incredible evil act. Um, And uh, and so we're just going to follow the the path that David walks uh, as he. Holds to his faith, trusts in God, and uh, and see the difference that will make. Uh, He begins, uh, first we're going to look at this evil man. Uh, Why do you boast of evil, O mighty man? Uh, The the first line is dripping with scorn and sarcasm. Uh, A mighty man is a military term. It's it's used for men who've displayed extraordinary valor and honor and bravery, bravery in the field of battle. Uh, It's like our Medal of Honor, uh, the the highest military um, award given to men who've done just that. These men who've shown extraordinary acts of of honor and bravery in the battlefield. Uh, David had 30 such men. Uh, One of them, the the chief of them, had uh, killed 8,800 enemy soldiers with his own spear, uh, another single-handedly held a piece of land against a, a whole attacking battalion, and uh, his fingers at the end of it had to be pried from the sword. Uh, they were frozen to the sword. And if you, read, you can read these about these men in 2 Samuel 23, and you'll read of each one. You'll read about their great act, and, and then it'll say, the Lord worked a great victory through so-and-so. Uh, specifically letting us know that these men are uh, God's warriors uh, engage in God's cause and and um and, and, and so these are mighty men of God. Well in dramatic contrast is the pitiful abomination uh called Doag the Edomite. In David's mind, uh, you could not have you could not be a lower form of a human being than Doag the Edomite. Who had, uh, who had performed his, his valor, had proven his valor by murdering 85 unarmed and innocent priests of God. And then had turned and gone to Nob to and to murder all of their, their families, their wives, their children, their infants. That's Doag, O oh mighty man. It is dripping with scorn. But the question is: why do you boast of evil? Why do you boast of evil? And and the answer that David gives is Doag boasts of of evil because he's an evil, evil man. And the evil of Doag is seen specifically not in his sword, but in his mouth. David despises the sword. But he notes the power, the evil, the pure evil of Doeg's mouth. Your tongue plots destruction like a sharp razor, you worker of deceit. You love evil more than good and lying more than speaking what is right. You love all words that devour, O deceitful tongue. Mark Vitale points out in his commentary that this repetition of you love, you love, you love, it implies choice as well as attraction. He's, David's not just saying uh, Doeg has sort of a he's, got a, he's drawn to these evil things. He's saying Doeg chooses these evil things. He chooses the lie. He chooses devouring words. Uh, we know people, right? You know people like this, right? People who lie as a normal way of doing life. People who love lying more than speaking what is right. It's not an accident. It's a choice. And as I was just studying this, it it just occurred to me that we as a society have gotten pretty comfortable with the sin of lying. We expect our politicians to lie. We're not even offended. We might even marvel at the pure blatant ease with which they look right into the camera and speak untruth. We expect our media outlets to spin or twist the story uh, to, to fit a certain agenda. We expect it and accept it. They're just doing what Fox News does or what CNN or MSNBC, that's what they, that's what they do. We, we, we accept a friends who spin or shade the truth I heard someone just recently uh, uh, speaking of, of, of someone else uh, um, and saying, well, that, that's just the way they are. You've got to take what they say with a grain of salt. It's just a minor character flaw. But it's not a minor character flaw. Who, who told us that it was? Who told us that it was? You see, a, a lying tongue is an abomination to God. And 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 it's a devastating sin. It causes devastation. I remember when the kids uh, were young. Um, I, I don't remember exactly how I said this. I just remember saying, "Guys, you're gonna sin, okay? It's it's you're gonna find out. It's sort of uh, it, it's a part of what it means to be young and human. And we sin too. And we're gonna we're, and we're gonna deal with 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 sin. And and we're." Uh, but one sin we have a zero-tolerance uh, policy on, and that's, that's the sin of lying. Um, and, the, and the reason we have zero tolerance with the sin of lying is because lying destroys everything. Lying destroys trust. Lying, lies destroy relationships. And, 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 and David points very pointedly at Doag's lies. He loves lying more than speaking truth. Now, th- what's interesting about that is Doeg didn't actually lie. He told the truth. He did see David at Nob. Uh, Ahimelech did help David. Everything that Doeg said actually happened. Uh, gossips and slanders will often, right, say this. They'll say, well, I- you know, maybe it wasn't the right context, but I was just telling the truth. So, so why does David charge him with lies? And the answer is because truth, for the purpose of evil, is deceit. Truth in the in the uh, p- purpose for the end of evil is deception. You see, truth, friends, is a holy and precious thing it is meant for god's glory it's meant for god's purposes it's meant to bless others and when the holy commodity of truth is used for evil purposes it is the essence of deception you're sinning against Truth, because you're sinning against the purpose of truth. This is why the Westminster Larger Catechism, when it's discussing uh, what, what does it mean to bear false witness, includes in that list, quote, all speaking the truth maliciously to a wrong end. Speaking the truth maliciously to a wrong end is a violation of the commandment. Well, this is what Doeg did. It's exactly what he did. He spoke truth maliciously to a wrong end, to exalt himself, to oppose David, God's anointed king. And in so doing, in his line, he spoke words that devoured innocent people died because of his, his wicked words. And just once again, just to remember, uh, when when. when, when People gossip and slander. Things get devoured. Reputations and relationships get swallowed up. It must have broke David's heart when he hears of the incredible evil of, evil of Doag, the Edomite. Edomites, of course, were always enemies of God's people. Doag is just an example of them. Um, he knew these people. He knew these priests. Maybe he knew their family members. And and, and he loves the Lord, and these are the Lord's priests. The the evil is so incredibly offensive. It's so outrageous. How would you have responded? I, I think I would have been filled with bitterness and just consumed with rage. But David shows the way to joy and peace in the face of great evil because he places it in the context of a living God. And that's my second point. Uh, we've seen the, the, this evil man, but David focuses our attention on a living God. Verse 5, but God will break you down forever. He will snatch and tear you from your tent. He will uproot you from the land of the living. The language is, is terse. It's violent and terrifying. God will snatch you. It's a It's a... It's a very um, progressive... No, 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 that's not the right word. <laughs> it's an aggressive... That's the word. It's an aggressive action. He will snatch you. He will tear you from your tent. Doag undoubtedly had a nice tent. A very nice tent. Doag was, was rewarded handsomely by Saul. Just as Saul said he would do. He had, I'm sure, the very nicest furniture. Doag probably had the nicest flat screen TV. He had servants who uh, were there at his beck and call. It was a nice tent. And David says, God, the living God, is going to snatch you out of uh, your tent. He's going to tear you out and tear you down. God is going to do this. It's always that way when evil men increase. Uh, Hitler's officers lived in beautiful homes. They drank nothing but the finest wines. They enjoyed uh, wonderful cigars, and uh, fine uh, art, symphonies. Stalin's officers, the same. Uh, Chairman Mao, Idi Amin, Pol Pot. Every despot you can think of in the history of the human race, right? Their, Their stools and toadies had really nice accommodations. And then God breaks them down forever and snatches them ...out of their beautiful homes and uproots them from the land of the living. And David lays hold of that as a, as a source of comfort. That, that, um, that this is a good thing. Uh, Godfrey, in his sermon, did preached an excellent sermon on this. He said, this is fundamental to our faith. We live in a moral universe. Evil shall not triumph. And the righteous, in that moral universe, knowing this living God, laugh. The righteous, verse 6 shall see and fear and shall laugh at him. Now, that might not strike you as an appropriate response. Um, This is not the laughing of superiority. It's not the laughing of pride. It is the laughing of people who fear God and who hate evil... And delight at the righteous judgment of God upon evil. Doag is an enemy of God. He murdered God's priests with his own hand when he could have done otherwise. This is an imprecation. It's a curse. David is not only saying this is going to happen, David is is wishing this and, and praying for this to happen. Is that okay? What do we do with imprecatory psalms? Well, Godfrey makes a great point that throughout the Psalter and in, and, and in Scripture as a whole, the context of, imprec- of imprecations, the context of, of divine curse is either explicitly or implicitly always following a call to repentance. So only those who persevere and hard-heartedly turn their back on the Lord and refuse to repent will face the curse Of the Lord. And you find that right here in Psalm 52. Look at verse 7. See the man who would not make God his refuge, but trusted in the abundance of his riches and sought refuge in his own destruction. In other words, Doag had ample opportunity to do the right thing. Doag uh, saw with his own eyes a sermon being preached in the sense that when Saul gave the command to his guard, strike down the priest of the Lord, the guards, um, at risk, very real risk of their own life, refused to do it. They just flat out denied the king and refused the order. Now again, in, in, in the world of that day, that is simply a death sentence. Why did they do that? Because they feared God more than they feared King Saul. They saw the pure evil of the command. And it was an abomination to them, and they simply could not and would not carry it out. Well, that was a sermon being acted out right in front of Doeg. Doeg. And yet, in, in the face of their godliness, their honor, their fear of the Lord, Doag refused to follow their example. He refused to make God his refuge and instead sought refuge in his own destruction. You see, friends, one of the, one of the, the glories of God is that he, whole, he uh, extends... Mercy to wicked people. If that were not true, you and I would not be saved. He holds out his hand to a wicked and obstinate and stubborn people. Why will you die, O house of Israel? Seek the Lord while he may be found. call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way, and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to our to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. That's the glory of God. He will abundantly pardon wicked men, evil men, when they turn to the Lord. But it is also the glory of our God that the wicked man and the the evil woman who refuses to return to to the Lord, who refuses to repent, that they will experience Justice, God's justice. It is his glory to be a God of justice. The living God will not be mocked. And that's a comfort to David as he, as he faces the evil of Doag the Edomite. But David isn't done. He's, 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 he's pointed out Doeg's great sin. He's, uh, he's, he's pointed out what God is going to do. And righteously and justly so. And then David points out what he will do. Uh, this is the believer's motto here in the last two verses. What is true, first of all, of, of our status as those who belong to God? I am like a green olive tree in the house of God. Doeg is, is, is the, uh, the, the man with great riches who boasted in his riches and trusted in them and is going to be snatched out and torn up and torn down. But I, But I am like a green olive tree. In the house of God. A green olive tree is a living olive tree. It's full of life. It has the sap of life within it. God's life within it. And it, and it dwells here in the house of God. It is near to God. It's blessed by God. It has acceptance with God. Intimacy with God. You realize that, that these are the two options. We are either, you see, outside in tents that will soon be destroyed, or we are inside in the temple of God that will never be destroyed. This but's eyes is, is, it makes all the difference in the world. But, but, but what are the fruits of this olive tree? Because that's, that's where David concludes. What are the fruits of this tree? And, and David highlights three of them. Trust, and gratitude, and patience. I will trust, I will thank, I will wait. Trust, verse 8b, I will trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. That is the absolute foundation of faith. I will trust in the steadfast love of God forever and ever. Notice David began his psalm this way. When he launched into, why do you boast, O mighty man? The next line is, the steadfast love of God endures all the day. David is reminding himself and speaking that truth into the evil act. That in, in, in the face of what could be interpreted by some as God abandoning his priests and abandoning their families, David puts his flag of faith in the soil and says, The steadfast love of God endures all the day. It never, it never, is relinquished, never dims, never flickers. And that great truth of the steadfast love of God, that reality lies behind and beneath Doak's crimes. David doesn't know why God allowed this to happen. He doesn't ask. But he casts himself on the steadfast love of God because it never changes. A Tessa Thompson, wife of, um, a member here and wife of uh, Nick, our intern, she's written a new book that's uh, scheduled to come out sometime later this year, it's called Laughing at the Days to Come. The title is taken from uh, Proverbs 31, where, if you remember, it talks about the godly woman. And, and one of the things that's true of this woman is that she fears, the woman who fears the Lord, it says, laughs at the days to come. Laughs at the days to come. And Tessa writes this, as one commentator puts it, this woman has chosen her fears well. She does not fear the future, but she has appropriately set her fear upon the living God. Rather than living her life with a fearful prospect of what may may be tomorrow, next week, five years from now, she's chosen to live a life that reflects what is. Namely, the present abiding reality of God, She knows that the circumstances of this life are constantly subject to change. Some may get worse, some may also get better. However, her unwavering hope is in a God who does not change, who does not get better or worse. The steadfast love of God endures all the day. And friends, there is no progress beyond that in the Christian faith. In other words, everything is built on that. If you're not convinced that there is love that follows you all the days of your life, you're not going to be able to step out and move forward in confidence and patience and peace. Paul says, the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. It is a conviction of the love of God, the steadfast love of God, the love of God that will not let me go. That is the foundation for every other fruit of faith in the Christian life. And the reason, friends, we can have that, that love and, and, and claim it and know it is because it has a name. Its name is Jesus. The steadfast love of God is manifest. This is how God has shown his love. He sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. God showed his love, Romans 5, 8, for us In this, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. And that is the theme of the whole scripture, and and particularly the New Testament, as Jesus now has been revealed, that this is a manifestation of the steadfast love of God that endures all the day. That no matter what circumstance you face, the love of God stands. And the love of God rules. The love of God orders. It will not let you go. And that, you see, produces gratitude. Then we can say with David, I will thank you forever because you have done it. God has done this salvation. We didn't do it. God gave us Christ and gave us to Christ. We didn't do it. God gave us faith. We didn't give ourselves faith. God has allowed us to see the truth about our need and and about God's provision. And God has kept us in the faith. How many times haven't you tried to throw your faith away? Either by engaging in, in knowingly uh, sinning against God. Either by just ignoring the things of God. By not, by not uh, giving yourself to the means of grace. How many times haven't you tried to throw your faith away? But God doesn't let you go. The steadfast love of the Lord is all the day. And he brings you back. And we, we simply say thank you. Thank you. You have done it. And that produces patience. I will wait then for your name, for it is good in the presence of the godly. Not only will David wait for his name, he will wait with for, for, on the name of the Lord in the presence of God's congregation. That We don't do this alone. Troubles are real. But troubles are not ultimate. And they're not lasting. Uh, Godfrey uh, uh, just said um, memorably, uh, David will not be forever in the cave of Adullam. Uh, Jesus uh, will not be forever in the cave, in, in the grave. God's people will not be forever in trouble and sorrow. Redemption actually is, friends, drawing nigh. It really is. It's closer than we know. And so, when the evil of this world, which is real, it's real and it's painful, and when it seems overwhelming, And circumstances challenge your faith in a sovereign God. Remember Psalm 52. Remember Doag the Edomite. More importantly, remember Jesus Christ, the Son of God who gave his life for you and now reigns at the right hand of God for you. And laugh. Laugh. It pleases God. Amen. Well, God in heaven, thank you for Psalm 52. I thank you, Lord, for the ability to believe in the face of great evil. And, Lord, we live in a world where there is great evil, where wicked men and women devour and destroy. And, Lord God, we confess that left to ourselves, we, would, we quickly commit evil acts. And we need, Lord God, uh, your forgiveness and your help. We thank you, oh God, that you've given us the fullness of your steadfast love in Jesus Christ. You've given Christ to sinners like us. And and because you've given a Christ to us, we can have absolute confidence that you will graciously give us with him all things. That, uh, Lord, nothing can separate us from your love. And, Lord, I, I pray that our conviction concerning your love would be the the keel um, that keeps our ship steady would be the anchor for our soul that no matter what the circumstances might be we know that the steadfast love of God endures all the day it is the ballast that keeps us steady Lord uh, some of us maybe uh, have a hard time believing that you actually love us our sins seem to be so great our failures so continual and It's hard to imagine that you could love us. Lord, I just pray that your spirit would open our hearts to receive this wonderful news that we have been loved in Jesus Christ, that we are loved today and loved with an active, participating, engaging, steadfast love. And Lord, I pray that would make the difference and that would produce gratitude and peace and patience in our life. Lord, we need to hear these things. We need to be molded by them. And so, Lord, I just pray that you do that work. For your name's sake, amen.